0: Please take your seats, relax. If you guys have your Bibles, wouldn't mind opening up to, uh, let's go with uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, passage we're going to be reading from in just a little bit here. And as you guys are turning there to kind of familiarize you a little bit with what it was I was doing in the SEAL teams on the last deployment I was involved in. We're out in Iraq and simply given the task of hunting down some pretty evil men, men that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs, IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working with this group called the ISOF, which is the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. And so one of our goals with these guys is simply teach them how to fight their own fights. The best way to do that is actually go outside that base and fight side by side with them. Well, if you can imagine, on our last operation, we're about to roll out. I got my night vision goggles on, looking through this green little world. And I'm going over this mental inventory, thinking about all the things I know about this night. My weapon is headspace and time. That means it's ready to go. I know where this guy lives that we're going after, a bomb maker. I know how we're going to get in, get out. But one unique thing I know is that just a matter of days from now, I'll be back in my hometown, Huntington Beach, California, surfing in the ocean. (laughs) What none of us knew about that night was that we were actually being set up the entire time to get thrown the absolute worst circumstances we've been in on this entire deployment as we're getting set up on this ambush and suddenly finding ourselves engaging in this gun battle for our lives. And it was the team's ability to shoot, move, communicate, and do what we do best in the teams that led to the obvious conclusion, I'm alive before you uh, this morning, but I do think it's worth remembering that it doesn't always work out that way. And we need to reflect on that and remember that our freedoms are not free. What are they paid for in? Well, they're paid for in the currency of our soldiers' blood on the battlefield. That's our earthly freedom. But when you think about eternal freedom, paid for in the currency, the blood of the Savior at the cross. And so perhaps more on how that ambush played out. But I see I got very little time with you guys. And so I want to get to this stuff to kind of backtrack just a little bit, a little bit of background. You know, fresh out of high school, attending a local community college, I didn't have any real big plans. And you know that saying, if you admit nothing, you will hit it. Unfortunately, that was the aim at that time. But I came to the conclusion, if I could just go become, and a lot of us have these sort of dreams, these goals in our life. If I could just go have this status, this identity, that would be the thing that really delivers for me. And so I came up with this idea of becoming a SEAL. I get mentored by Scott Helvenston, one of the most extraordinary Navy SEALs. You saw a little bit about him, my mentor. And just days before I'm going in, I'm on the phone with him as he's telling me, Junior, I know you're gonna make it through SEAL training. And then I see him on a TV screen uh, with a smile on his face, but then in the lower third, his birth date followed by a dash, March 31st, 2004. And the next scenes that followed were scenes of him and his lifeless body in the streets of Fallujah, hanging upside down from the Euphrates River Bridge as he burned in the background as this angry Iraqi mob was chanting in Arabic, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. I think pretty needless to say, I'll never have the words to describe what that moment and all the surrounding moments were like, but I really put a lot into, I'm gonna still go through with this. And I wrote my mentor's name on the inside of my hat as a constant reminder, this motivation to make it through. And that day finally came. Out of a class of 173 guys, still training, it's pretty difficult. Only 13 of that original class number still standing there that graduation day. One of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life, I achieved the goal, that thing that I was truly hoping for. One of the happiest moments. It didn't take more than 24 hours, though, for life to kind of feel like it was circling a drain and going downhill from that point forward. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why at the time. I mean, I just achieved the ultimate And it was years later I heard these words spoken by a Christian philosopher where he said, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. In the end, it lets him down. What he's referring to right there is something I believe everyone in this room is familiar with at least to some degree. Sometimes we talk about it as the human condition. Sometimes we refer to it as the grass is always greener on the other side. Not quite satisfied where we're at. What do you want, man? I just want a little bit more. And so we buy into this belief that if I could just get this status, this achievement, then I would be happy. Maybe what I'm missing in my life is the right job or the right relationship. Then you get that and you think we just need some little ones running around the house. We need a bigger house. So you keep moving the bar, buying into this belief that this is going to be the thing that leaves you full and satisfied. And so this is just sort of the, the vicious cycle that we're in. You get to a certain point where you're hungering after a goal, you get there, you eat it up, that moment where you achieve, right? Recognition is made. But what happens is you get hungry all over again. And so you step back for a moment, you reason within, why Why did this not deliver the way I expected it to? A light goes off, I know why, because I didn't go for something big enough. And so we raise the bar, now we're thirsting after that new one. We're putting in all the hard work, blood, sweat, tears, determination, whatever it takes to get there. You have that moment where you drink it up, this is the one, you're hungry and thirsty all over again. This vicious cycle, and seemingly there just is no end, but there is an end point. And that is the whole point to this quote I shared with you about one of the loneliest moments. See, the big question is this, guys. What happens when you finally arrive at a place in life, in this world, where like all the other times before, you achieve and you're hungry and thirsty for more, but this time there is no more. You can't say, well, I'll just go to the next rung of the ladder. Why not? Because you're at the last rung of the ladder. You can't say, well, maybe what I need is a little bit more elevation, no more climbing. You're at the peak of the mountain. There is no more elevation to climb. And yet, like all of the other times before, hungry, thirsty for more, but unlike all of the other times, this time, no next. One of the loneliest moments a man or woman will ever experience when they have achieved in this world, when they have achieved that which they thought would deliver the ultimate, and in the end, that one lets them down. I ultimately wind up hearing this story from 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman and it really hit home, and so I want to speak to all of you in the room, but really some of you that maybe were brought here by a friend, maybe some of you that have only just been attending for a little while, or maybe some of you that have been here for a very long time, but you haven't really been here. You've kind of felt like you're not really a part of it. That's kind of the place I was in when I had this story relayed to me. 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman. This guy sounds like he could have been a seal had there been such a thing during his time. It says in verse one, now Naaman, New King James Version, now Naaman, commander of the army, the king of Syria was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and they brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Then Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus is the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king says, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Fast forward to verse nine, Naaman is on his way. He's gonna go. Enemy occupied territory. 150-mile trip, horses, chariots, and he's bringing the gold. He's prepared to pay this doctor off, whatever you got to do. Doesn't matter what plan you're on. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Look at Naaman's response. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, "'Indeed,' I said to myself, "'he will surely come out to me and stand, "'call the name of the Lord his God, "'wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. "'Are not the Abana the far "'the rivers of Damascus far better "'than all the waters of Israel? "'Could I not wash in them and be clean?' "'So he turned and he went away in a rage. "'And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, "'My father, if the prophet had told you "'to do something great, would you not have done it? "'How much more then when he says to you, "'Just wash.'" And be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. This gets personal. But let me get back to that point about achieving the ultimate. That's not something foreign or unique in any way. You see it in the lives of professional athletes, rock stars, movie stars. We got the Super Bowl that we're going to be celebrating today. Hey, some some people are going to get that ring today. They're going to achieve the ultimate. What they will soon realize is they're going to be hungry and thirsty for more. But can you really go much beyond that? Why is it that when we turn on the television, why is it that when we look at our phone, we see these people that seemingly have everything the world has to offer, but really it's a constant drama playing out. They're destroying their own lives with drugs, alcohol. Could you imagine having that dream job, getting to go to parts unknown, travel the world, see different cultures, eat food all over the place? Hey, what's really going on in that guy's life? He's secretly so miserable underneath it all that he's hanging himself. He's taking his own life and we stand back and go, why? Like why, man? Don't you know what you have? Don't you know what people would trade to be in your shoes? But maybe that's just it. Having everything that the world has to offer is not really all that's cracked up to be. Jesus put it best. What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the end loses his soul? That was my problem at the time looking back. I gained my version of the whole world and becoming a seal, but my soul was not right with my Creator but hearing this story of Naaman, I mean, circle back and picture Naaman's life like this. He has all this success, this entourage of men that highly respect him. Even the king enjoys Naaman's company. So this status that he has is getting him where? Into the VIP meet and greets. Even the king, he wants to rub shoulders with Naaman. He's this mighty man of valor, but a leper. How bad was leprosy? Jesus, looking back, specifically said, nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. So really, what's going on? We see that guy on the outside there, Naaman, we see that armor, we see that clothing, but what's really going on underneath that that armor there, Naaman? What's really going on underneath that clothing? Well, what's really going on is he's literally deteriorating, he's falling apart, he's a dead man walking. Just by the law of averages, there are many of you in here that feel like that man or woman on the outside because when you're being honest with yourself, who are you? Like who are you in front of your coworkers? in front of your family members, like you got it going on, your friends, when in reality, underneath it all, you are deteriorating. You feel as though you are that dead man or woman walking. I'm listening. Now, no doubt about it, Naaman has tried everything he could possibly do to fix himself of his leprosy. Unsung hero in the story, little servant girl, she's the evangelist. She speaks up with boldness. If you would go see the prophets in Israel, he'll heal you. So he goes, that big trip, all that money. What happens? He doesn't come to the door sends his servant to the door, relays this message, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. Naaman feels like he's hugely disrespected. So we learn that he turns and he begins to go away in a rage and he's saying what he expected. I expected that guy to come out of his place. He was expecting some red carpet treatment, but instead he gets treated like a normal and it infuriates him, he's leaving in this rage. And if he continues in that direction, what happens? He dies, it's terminal. What's Naaman's real problem? Is it that leprosy or is that just a surfacey symptom? It's the pride. And so his men that care about him are trying to reason with him. Come on, Naaman, look, you know if this guy came out and gave you some big, great thing to do, you would have done it. Yeah, what if he came out and gave him a CrossFit exercise? You finish this CrossFit exercise. You finish this, this Spartan run in time, Naaman, and you'll be fixed of your leprosy. He would have liked a good rite of passage like that. Do something in your own strength and might. You could work towards this. But it's so simple to him, just go wash and be clean, that what did it seem like? Foolishness. What we can't miss is that's exactly what it says about the preaching of the cross in the New Testament. The preaching of the cross is what? Foolishness to those that are perishing. No doubt about it, Naaman here in a state of perishing, but something these guys say, it gets through. God can speak through a donkey if he wants to he decides he's going to do it. And this 180 that he's about to make is a whole lot more than a mere physical 180. I believe there is some change going on inside, intellectually, emotionally, most importantly, spiritually. He realizes in order for me to live, I must die. That is a message we need to hear today. Honestly, I must die. We're talking about kind of living in some of the last days. In the last days, what will they do? They will heap up teachers because they can no longer endure sound doctrine, it says. So they'll heap up teachers that just scratch itching ears. Tell me more about my hopes and my dreams. Tell me about how Jesus is going to breathe life into my startup. No, I must die. For what? For the sake of the kingdom. We are his soldiers. We go advance forward. We are his torpedo. Put me wherever you want to put me. We are all expendable. And what an honor it would be to burn out for him. I love what C.T. Stud says. He says, you know, one life, it w- one life, it will soon pass, but only what's done for Christ will last. Most know that part. But he says, and when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life is burned out for thee. In the end, we have a decision, right? Will we burn out for me, for myself, or do I burn out for the Lord? And so Naaman, he's making this walk. He's humbling himself. That armor's going away. What needed to go all along, he's stripping away, really, more than armor pride. Going into that water, dipping seven times. We know this is a number of completion. Comes up, and what happens? In the Hebrew, it says he had brand new skin like that of a baby. Could you imagine the mess, the filth of leprosy being spotted and blotted and blemished, and then he comes up, brand new skin like a newborn baby in the operating room. This is where it gets personal. God provide a way out for you and I as well. But first we have to understand our condition. And so Naaman being the certain man on the outside, when in reality there's other things going on underneath it all, again, think about it for a moment. I only have a very little bit of time with you. Who are you? Who are you really on the outside? When in reality, underneath it all, you have a disease. And it's not leprosy, but we could call it S-I-N positive, sin. And the Bible's very clear that the wages of sin is death. That's not a mere physical death. The Bible's very clear. It's appointed once for man to die. Then comes the judgment. That is a fee that you do not want to be paying. It's the second death, the lake of fire. But God provided a way out. What is this way out? Go dip ourselves somewhere. What God did is he dipped his son down into the world on a rescue mission. This Jesus of Nazareth walked 2,000 years ago, lived a holy, perfect, sinless life. Not for one split second was he a sinner, We are spotted and blotted in sin. If you haven't caught it yet, what is that leprosy a picture of today? For us, we are spiritual lepers. We are all a mess. We're all contaminated. All right, we can't stop this spread, right? This spread of sin. But Jesus was holy and pure, blameless, without blemish, goes to the cross, and what takes place at the cross? Did he go up there to be some example? Did he go up there just to be a martyr for the cause? No, it says that his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. You and I have a sin problem, but he will save you from your sin. How? Here's the picture. He trades skin with you and I. He takes our leprosy, as it were, our sin upon himself so that we could be switched and lavish with God's grace and his mercy Pays the penalty of our sin in full at the cross. This next part is so important, he rises again from the dead. And what does that do? It shows he has power over sin. He has power over death. Not even the grave can hold him. And from that resurrected life, he says, because I live, you also shall live. That is the hope of Christianity. It would be a very strange hope to preach to the first century Christians, and hundreds of years after that, as they were hunting them down to feed them, to put wild animal skins around them, as the historian Titus talks about, and feed them to wild beasts as entertainment, lighting them up. It wasn't about earthly success, and it wasn't about being an influencer online. It was about being an influence for Christ, and they weren't afraid. Yeah, you could destroy this body. You could kill me, but my hope is that I have Christ. I overcome the grave, and so that's what the Lord gives us, right? And I hope each and every one of us is successful here. I hope every one of us, you know, achieves the, the goals, the dreams that they're going after, but it's got to be in line with Scripture, right? Ultimately, Christ gives us strength. He says, in this life, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You go through the fire differently like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're not in there by yourself. When you are in Christ, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so you've suffered before Christ and you know what that's like, to be alone in that. But suffering in Christ and suffering with Christ is a whole lot different because you have him there with you and you're forged by that fire. Or as we say in the SEAL teams, forged by adversity. And so Jesus provides this, this solution to our sin. But remember, Naaman, it started with what? How did he receive? It started with humbling self, making that 180, interestingly. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny self. It's self-denial. It's the unselfie generation, right? If we really wanna be influencers for Christ, as John the Baptist says, I must decrease so that he can increase. And watch out when you have a man or woman set on fire for the Lord like that. People truly will come to watch them burn. That's the difference that you make, honestly. And so... We're to repent of our sin, humble ourselves, put your faith and trust in Jesus, do what? The God of Israel did the heavy lifting there in that water. He removed all that leprosy. And that same God of Israel does all that heavy lifting through his son, Jesus. He will forgive you, cleanse you of your sin. The scriptures say, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, that times refreshing may come. March 14, 2007, I heard that message. I responded to that message in that way. And I'll just declare to you that, those, that the words are true. In the scriptures, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. I comprehended that this is what it's all about. I'm forgiven of my sin because of what he did. I have a place in eternity and not just that. In a sense, I'm bulletproof here on earth. I'm here to advance his kingdom. And so this is the message I want all of you to hear and know and, and understand. And I could go back to being a seal and enjoy it now in a way I never enjoyed it before. It's proper category It wasn't supposed to be the main thing. It wasn't supposed to take the throne of my heart. When God is in the throne of your life, everything else becomes secondary. When I was trying to be a seal before without God, it's narcissistic. It's me, 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 and that's like decaf. It won't deliver. Don't waste your time. It's true. Flip it around. Not for me, but for thee. And when you do that, you're fulfilling the scriptures. Whatever you do in word or deed, you all in the name of the Lord Jesus, you could be a seal for Christ, construction, corporate world for Christ, stay at home mom for Christ. You flip it around like that and it truly does echo an eternity then. I wish I had time to hit the details of that ambush but let me just cut to the chase. Let's just remember as we started off, freedom isn't free and it's paid for in the highest price our soldiers can play on the battlefield. Highlighting a couple of those names, one would be Michael Monsour, US Navy SEAL. He jumped on a hand grenade, why? He could have saved himself, he was a local guy. He could have saved himself. They go back and there's the exit right there. All he had to do was pivot, turn, he's out. But there's other seals on the roof with him that didn't have time. And so he yells grenades so they could take cover. He covered it and it went off and he absorbed the blast of that grenade all himself, suffered and died, but because of what he did, they all lived. Greater love is known than this, one that lays on his life for his friends. My friend Scott, as I look back, although he was killed in these awful things, hung from that bridge, it wasn't in vain. One of the last things he said to me is, Junior, when I go over there, perhaps I could make a difference. And so he's a reflection or a manifestation of the truth of those words of greater love as well. And don't miss who said that. Who was it that said that? It was Jesus. And he said those words prior to the cross. And so think about the cross this way. Just as Mike Monsoor absorbed the blast of a hand grenade, why, so others could live, Jesus absorbed the blast. Not of a grenade, but he absorbed the wrath of our sin upon himself. He covered it, Why? He covered our sins so we could live with him in eternity. And as my friend Scott hung from that bridge, ultimately there for freedom's sake, let's never forget that our Jesus was killed and he was hung, wasn't he? From the cross of Calvary so that we could be set free from the eternal consequences of our sin. So, greater love is no one than this one that lays down his life for his friends. You can see it in men like Mike Monceau and Scott Helvenston, the greatest of all, look for the cross. That's the proper perspective of that king of kings, that lord of lords, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it also says, for he, speaking of the father, made him Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why is that word might there? Because it's not a default built into life position. Not everybody will. Not everyone is a child of God and that is biblical. We're born into this world, Ephesians chapter two, as children of wrath in the crosshairs of God's judgment, children of darkness, practicing things that disappoint God. We've turned our back on him, but you have that opportunity to become a child of God, a child of light to as many as believe in his name. And so this is not the best life here on earth, but it is the best way to the next best possible life. This is the proving ground. Whom will you serve? Who are you with? And so Jesus says, you are either for me or you are against me. Incredible, the first move that he made. Ultimately, it comes down to this, and I'll end on this. It's two forms of love. You know, as C.S. Lewis says, does your love for sin outweigh your love for the creator? You'd rather bear hug that and just follow that down into the fiery pit? All right, God's not gonna force you. Or does your love for him? We love him because he first loved us. You finally are wooed and moved by him. You say, my love towards him outweighs my love for this junk, and I'm ready to follow after him. For those that do, the reward is great. Jesus says, don't seek after earthy success. That's what the world does. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and guess what? The worldly success or whatever that is that you're going for, you'll hit it with the ricochet. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things, they'll be added to you. And so make him the preeminent one in your life, and he'll be there with you as you go through the flames. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you thankful for this little bit of time that we gotta share together. And while everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask, if you find yourself here this morning maybe realizing as you've walked in that you have been playing the part of Naaman, you are this other man or woman on the outside in front of others when in reality there are other issues going on underneath it all, who are you? Who are you on that outside? Who are you in your room all by yourself and all you're left with is your own thoughts? You know who that person is. You might really hate that person. You might not want that person to live. Here's the good news is that God is aware, but he doesn't break in that door to point a finger at you, to rub your nose in any kind of shame. He breaks through to say, I wanna set you free. But we gotta do that Naaman thing, humble ourselves. Naaman left one thing behind in that water in Israel he did not go back home with. He left the leprosy behind. What have you come in here today with that you could walk out those doors without? Let's get it straightened out. And so if you've come in here realizing you're not right with God, you're in the crosshairs of God's judgment, you're covered in this sin, but you wanna be washed clean. You wanna call Jesus savior. You believe he rose again from the dead. This is what life is all about, to know him, to know your creator. I would love to lead you in a prayer if that's you. I just ask that you be sincere when you do it. And so if that's you, wherever you are, if you would just repeat these words out loud after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but you died on that cross for me. I turn from my sin now, and I ask you to be my savior and be my Lord. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Help me to follow you from this moment forward.